I'm going to first answer a question that uh, I've heard this morning, and that is, who is Creation Ministries International? We literally are international. We have offices in seven countries on five continents. Uh, we actually speak in over 1,000 churches worldwide every year. Um, we were founded about 45 years ago, and we employ more PhD scientists than any ministry in the world. But that's not what we're about. And let me see if I can explain that to you. Um, how many of you, when you've been out sharing your faith, have had people challenge you questions like this? I mean, did God really create in six days? I mean, after all, hasn't science proven evolution in millions of years? And by the way, what about the dinosaurs? How did all the animals fit on the ark? What about ape men? The Ice Age, carbon dating. Where did all the races come from? And why does a loving God allow death and suffering. Now, would you guys do me a favor? And if you've had people challenge you with questions like that, would you put your hand up in the air? You see, these are the questions. You can see everybody's asking, challenging a straightforward reading from the Bible. And that's where we're going to find answers. And we're also going to find answers on our website. And our website address is kind of hard to remember. So we're going to do a little science this morning. Is that okay? <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but scientists have proven that if you say something audibly, out loud, with your mouth, you're more apt to have it imprinted in your brain. Did you guys know that? Okay, so would you guys all join me in saying this together, please? Everybody. Creation.com. All right, so can you remember that? Well, if you were to go there this afternoon, you'd find over 15,000 articles written by our scientists and professionals answering those and many more questions. For example, you guys know this fellow, right? We got some tragic news a number of years ago. What happened? He died. He died. And how did he die? A stingray. a stingray stung him in the heart. And so people wrote into our ministry and they challenged us by saying, oh yeah, well, why would a loving God create stingrays that can kill? But you know what? That is a fair question. And for those people that signed up for our free email newsletter, they received this article only a few days after his passing, answering that question. And for believers like you, what they were doing is passing it on to their family and friends. And in only 10 days, it became our most visited article ever. But isn't it true that we hear all the time about the latest dinosaur discoveries, or for that matter, uh, like those missing links between ape-like creatures and man, or those things that they claim prove evolution to be true. Well, chances are we're answering those questions. So if you guys want to be part of our ministry, uh, you know, spreading this word, I'd like to invite everyone here to sign up for our free email newsletter. Now, it only comes out about once a week, so we're not going to spam you, but we're going to keep you up to date on the latest information in the creation and evolution issues. So if my volunteers could go ahead and distribute those forms right now, I would appreciate it. Do me a favor, just pass those back. We just need a, uh, your name, an email address, and a zip code, and we'll keep you up to date in this area. But let me ask you a question. How many people here know that kids hear about evolution 24-7? I mean, and if that is the case, where are they going to hear a biblical response and a scientific response? Is it going to be when they go to school? No. Certainly by when they turn on their TV? No. How about when they go to university? So please understand, the heart of our ministry is to find answers to those tough questions. And again, you can find those answers where, everybody? All right, let's go ahead and get started with the presentation. Now, you folks here might be able to tell my, by my accent that I do not come from a foreign land, as many of our speakers do. You might recognize my accent. 
Um, I do come from this place. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called California. <laughs> in fact, I rarely get to say this, but I actually lived 29 years in Sonoma County. In fact, I know some of the people that are here today. I've known them. So it's a, it's a treat for me to be kind of back in, the, in my homeland, you might say. But I'm actually not a native Californian. I did marry my beautiful California bride who's with us here today. Um, but I had to adapt to my environment. And to prove to you that I did, here is me catching a wicked 12-inch wave. <laughs> and thankfully, thankfully, I have a graphic artist that makes me look a little bit more macho than I actually am. <laughs> but I do want to introduce you to a friend of mine. And strangely enough, it might be somebody that you know. Um, this is my friend, Sammy. Does anybody know Sammy? Yeah. Few of you do. But at the time of this, at the time of this, uh, this account that he shared with me, he was actually a professional California beach lifeguard. He was assigned to Pismo Beach, but it was his day off, so he took his quad out and he was riding up and down the sand dunes all day long, enjoying the beautiful summer day. However, a storm came in, a very bad storm, and the sun hit the Pacific Ocean, and he was driving back through this storm back to camp to rest up for his next day's work. However, when he came to this very spot on the beach, there were about a dozen people that were yelling to get his attention. So what he did is he drove over there, and when he turned off his engine, he actually found out why they were excited, and that was because there was a surfboard there on the beach, but the surfer was 100 yards off. And on this night, in the darkness, the waves had eight-foot faces picking up his body and throwing him into the rocks below, and he was severely lacerated from head to toe. However, Sammy did decide to take off his helmet and his boots, those things that would weigh him down, was able to get out to that man, and he brought him back to shore, and with medical attention, his life was spared. But can I ask you guys a question? Why did he do it while those 12 people stood there and watched? Tell me why. Trained. Trained, exactly. He was equipped. He knew how to navigate those waves. And you know, I think our culture is kind of like that surf. You know, those waves are like the questions that we were just talking about. Questions such as, is there a God? Does he love me? And how about this one? Is the Bible true? And am I right that in our culture that question has been answered with a resounding no? Because most people have heard that over millions and millions of years that the process of evolution is a scientific fact. In fact, I think that it's kind of like a, uh, uh, a tsunami that are like pulling people away from the truth of God's holy word, that solid rock on which we are commanded to stand. But I'd like to start out with a question for all of us today. And that is, are you willing to equip yourself with the answers to the tough questions that people are asking in our culture so that we can be the ones that dive in and rescue the perishing while perhaps others stand by and watch? Now, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, does that sound like a suggestion or a command? It's a command. And by the way, this word answer, it comes from a Greek word, which is apologian. And that was a legal term. It was used in the courts of law in order to describe what an attorney would do when he was perhaps defending his client or prosecuting the accused. It's a reasoned, rational, logical 
defense for one's position. So let me ask you a question. Does this sound like you? Are you always prepared with a defense for your faith, including in the area of creation and evolution, the number one place that the Bible is being attacked in our culture? And if you don't believe me, just turn on your TV, open up magazines, textbooks, even Saturday morning cartoons. Our culture is saturated with evolutionary ideas, and we need to have a defense for our faith. Now, um, today we are going to talk about a little bit about science. You guys said that you didn't mind that, but a lot of people will go, well, wait, we're in church, you know? I mean, isn't this where we talk about the Bible? But did you know that the Bible actually has scientific statements? In fact, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there's a phrase that's repeated 10 times. It says that God created plants and animals to reproduce after their what? Kind. Kind. Now, that basically means that dogs give birth to dogs and pigs give birth to pigs and corn kernels bring us corn plants. And that happens here in Northern California too, right? But when you think about it, it's basically saying that the genetic information, the DNA that's created in those original kinds, and although that is passed on to future generations, that nonetheless, the Bible is very clear. It says that God created plants and animals to reproduce after their kind. But most people hear a very different story than that, don't they? Most people hear that over millions and millions and millions of years, through the process of natural selection and random mutations, that creatures over millions of years, using those processes of multiplication, actually can change from one kind of creature into a completely different kind over millions of years. Now, you guys have heard this idea, I presume, correct? But you know what? Both of these worldviews can't be true. And our kids, you know, they know, they know the difference. You know, for example, if, if, uh, if a child is in uh, perhaps science class, the science teacher might say something like this. Now, if you happen to be one of those people that go to church and you believe Bible stories, and if those Bible stories give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, I, I won't hold that against you. You can believe those Bible stories. But, you know, Right here, while we're talking about science, here we're going to talk about facts. Now, do you see the decision that has to be made? And it's not just our kids, am I right? I mean, do any of you have family members that maybe think you're just a little unintellectual because you believe the Bible's historical account as opposed to what many people say has been scientific fact in the evolutionary realm? So I hope you can see why we need to be equipped with a defense for our faith. And if we don't, you know, what's going to happen? You know, perhaps you've heard the Barna Institute statistics that tell us that two-thirds of children raised in Christian homes, by the time they get to be the age 18, are leaving the faith. And that's kind of a sobering statistic, isn't it? And to be fair, we're probably talking about somebody else's kids and grandkids, not our own, right? But to be fair, other organizations, they came up with completely different percentages of those leaving the faith. But can I ask you a question this morning? Which percentage would be acceptable to you and your family? Now, we went on to college campuses here in the United States, and we made a little mini-documentary. We first found students that said that they had regularly attended church in the past, okay, 
and we asked them a follow-up question. We said, do you believe in creation or evolution? Not surprising to us, they said that the, major the majority of the students re responded and said they believed evolution. Then we asked a follow-up question. We said, have you ever been given any historical evidence that supports the historical account of the Bible? And all of them, with the exception of one man, responded with, no, I didn't know there were, was any, and none of them attended church anymore. However, of the five, and only five students, that said they believed the biblical account of creation, we asked them if they had been given any scientific information that that uh, supported the historical account of the Bible, and unanimously and with a smile, they said, absolutely, we do. And they all continued to attend church. So I hope you can see why we need to have a defense for our faith in the Word of God. I mean, think about this. I mean, Jesus himself, he said... Um, okay, one moment, please. A little technical problem. Okay, in any case... Um, Jesus himself, he said, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will I speak to you of heavenly things? That's from John 3, 12. And that's why we're here today. That is why we employ more PhD scientists than any ministry in the world. Not to give you a bunch of science that you can't understand. We make it in a way that you'll be able to use it in order to reach people that don't know Christ. But you can be assured that it's both scientifically and biblically accurate. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about science today. And in case you didn't like science in junior high school, I don't want you to pull out a pillow and take a nap. I'm going to make it really easy for you to understand. But when most people think about science, the first thing that comes to their mind is what we call operational or what many call experimental science. Now, do you remember using the uh, scientific method maybe in junior high school? You know, where you develop a hypothesis, you perform an experiment, you make observations, you record data, and you could repeat it. Do you guys remember the scientific method? You know, it's done right in the present, right before our eyes, perhaps in a laboratory. And experimental science is the kind of science that, that gives us great uh, discoveries that allow us to do things like space travel or, or perhaps medical advances to benefit us all. However, when we're talking about evolution, or for that matter, anything that happened in the past, did you know it's not this type of science? You see, what we're talking about here is historic, or what many call forensic science. Now, let's say that someone here believed that a fish, over millions and millions of years, passing on its genetic information to future generations through the process of natural selection and random mutations, could actually add information to its genome in one of its uh, uh, offspring millions of years later so that it would sprout new novel structures that would allow it to walk on the land. Now, if you believe that to be true, can you do an experiment to show that's true? Can you observe it happening? Is it repeatable? Do you see what we're talking about here? Now, this is a fossil here. Um, let me ask you a question about this. Does this fossil exist in the past or the present? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I heard some different answers. Let me see if I can clarify the question a little bit. Does this fossil, this one right here, <laughs> does this fossil exist in the past or the present? It's in the present. You see, all the evidence we have exists in the present. And tell me, when we dig up a fossil, does it come with a label on it that tells us how old it is, what it ate, how it lived? 
Now, what we have to do is we have to take the evidence that's with us in the present and paint a picture of what happened in the past. Now, let me see if I can ask you another question. Um, and we're going to uh, kind of do like a, a, a vote like we're, with a show of hands. And that is who has the most evidence, evolution or creation, okay? How many people say evolution has the most evidence? All right, how many people say creation has the most evidence? All right, can I ask you a follow-up question? Um, when paleontologists, the scientists, are looking at information of, of uh, you know, maybe the fossil record in the various museums around the world, or perhaps the paleontological digs, okay? Do the creation scientists and the evolutionary scientists, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? And an astronomer looking at a distant galaxy, perhaps the light and, and the energy waves are coming into his, his mass spectrometer. Okay? Do the creation scientists and the evolutionary scientists, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? So let me ask you the question again. Who has the most evidence, evolution or creation? Okay, some of you are getting it, but I got deer in the headlights looks from some of you. So let's go ahead and do our own little experiment. Here is, here is a, uh, a fact, and go ahead and make your observations, record your data. Here's the hypothesis we'll consider what was missing. And I'm going to make it a little easier. I'm going to make it multiple choice. How many people think it used to be A? Let me try that again. A? Okay, how about B? C? <laughs> Got one optimist in the crowd. Awesome. How many people think it was D? Okay. Yeah, do you want to know the answer? Okay, so I want, you to, I want you to think about this before you respond. Why did you look for something missing? Because I told you to. You see, what I did is I gave you what we call in science a presupposition. That's a long word that means an assumption that you might use when looking at the evidence. So... Congratulations, everyone. Your conclusion was completely consistent with your presupposition, which was completely wrong. And I know some of you are thinking that I tricked you, but that was actually my point. In fact, I want to make sure the next thing that I say is probably the most important thing that I'm going to say this whole time. And I, especially if you're a student, listen. And that is that when you're watching perhaps a program on evolution or perhaps opening a magazine or a textbook about an evolutionary idea, I want to make sure you understand this. You are not being given facts. You're being given an interpretation of facts that in the case of evolution has some huge scientific problems. And we need to be like the Bereans. Do you guys remember them in the Bible? They wanted to know what the truth was, what the facts, and we should do the exact same. You see, historic science is like that television show, CSI, and I don't know if Pastor Tim allows you to watch such programs. <laughs> I only do so for research purposes myself, but in case you haven't seen those crime shows, scientists are digging up evidence and facts about a crime that happened in the past, and this, these facts and evidence are brought into the courtroom right there before the jury's eyes. And they're interpreted by two opposing attorneys. You see, one attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, clearly you've seen the facts and evidence right here in the present, right before your eyes, and obviously you can see my client is innocent. 
Yet the other attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't know what facts he's talking about because obviously it shows that he's guilty. And this one's saying, wait, no, he's misinterpreting the facts. You can see that. And this one's going, I'm not misinterpreting, he is, right? Same facts, same evidence, two completely different and opposing interpretations of those facts. And it's up to the jury to decide which one makes the most sense. But I want to let you know that in this case, in the creation and evolution debate, which is prominent in our culture, most people, including the ones that didn't come to church today, most people have only heard one side of the story, am I right? And when it comes to perhaps your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members who perhaps don't know Christ because of this very reason, who is going to tell them the other side of the story? All right, we're going to start out and take a look at a little bit of a scientific evidence that makes, uh, makes historical evidence of the Bible. And I'm going to start out with an icon of evolution in millions of years, namely the Grand Canyon, which gives me an excellent opportunity to slip in a family vacation shot. But if you were to take your vacation in the Grand Canyon, you would, of course, be told that it took millions of years for these layers to be laid down. And then millions of years from the, for that relatively small river to carve through those layers of rock. And indeed, when we do look at the process of sedimentation, that is the laying down of those layers, what we observe in the present is takes a really long time for those layers to be laid down as we observe them in the present. So if the present is always what happened in the past, then I would grant you it had to have taken millions of years. However, did you know that the science is overwhelming that these massive layers were laid down by water? And guess what we find inside these layers? Fossils. And where do we find layers like this? I mean, the Grand Canyon, to be sure. But did you know that no matter where you go in the world, if you start digging into sediment, you're going to find massively deep layers? So can I ask you a question? Um, can you think of any historical event recorded in the Bible that might explain massive sedimentary layers covering the entire planet, including the evidence of dead things? Does anything come to mind? And, you know, I had a young man, or, or yeah, a young man challenge me about this, and he said, you've got to be kidding. Because you're claiming to be a scientist and believing the Bible, and you know what? The Bible says that the highest mountains in the world were covered by water, and there's not enough water to do that. So how do you answer a question like that? Well, I get excited. You know, for example, I can show him this. <laughs> you, might, you might have recalled that, over, that uh, from junior high school that our planet, 70% of our planet, is covered by extremely, unbelievably deep, deep oceans. But did you know this? That if you were able to take the mountains and the continents and push them down and raise the oceans, basins up, and reform our planet like a perfect sphere, just like a basketball, did you know that there would be almost two miles of water covering this, the, the planet with just the water that's in the oceans today? Now, does that sound like enough, enough water for a cataclysmic flood like the Bible tells us about and to cover those mountains? And you know what? It's even more exciting than that because, you see, in the sedimentary layers of the highest mountains in the world, for example, Mount Everest, we find marine, fossilized marine invertebrates. 
indicating that those layers now, at the top of the highest mountains in the world, were one time underneath the oceans, just like God's word has been telling us all along. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the facts and evidence? They support the historical account of the Bible as opposed to the evolutionary timeline of millions of years that people say science has proven. Now, speaking of those layers taking thousands of years, how about here? Here's 28 feet of thousands of fine layers of rock. Now, did these take millions of years? Or perhaps you would think at least thousands. Well, actually, in this case, these layers were laid down in three hours, and that was on June 12th. 1980, right after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which made a little impact on me since I was 63 miles from that volcano when it erupted. And this is just a little bit of the ash that was three inches thick in my parents' front yard. Also an excellent opportunity to slip in yet another family vacation shot. <laughs> but if you were to go to Mount St. Helens today, you would, of course, encounter this canyon now, this canyon is really huge. It's 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon, and if you didn't know how it was formed, you might logically deduce that it took a really long time for that little bitty creek to carve through those layers of rock, but you would actually be wrong because this canyon was formed in only one day. That was on March 19, 1982. After a flow came through here at a highway speed, cutting through the then soft layers, which only decades later have turned to stone. Now, does that remind you of anything else you've seen before? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? It supports the historical account of the Bible as opposed to the millions of years of evolutionary time that people tell us are scientific fact. Now, that same young man that challenged me about the water, he said, now wait, you keep referring to fossils, and everybody knows it takes millions of years to form a fossil. So how do you answer a challenge like that? Well, I get excited because that means we get to talk about where fossils come from. Now, if you were to go to a museum or perhaps opening a textbook, you might find this explanation. Where Mr. Dinosaur dies sinks to the bottom of the ocean, is slowly buried over millions of years. And then millions of years later, through the process of permineralization, his bones and body are turned to stone. Now, I will admit at one time that made sense to me, but is this what we observe in the real world? You see, many years ago, I took my daughter, who actually is with me here today, I took her to, to Walmart, and I bought her two goldfish, and she named them Romeo and Juliet. Now, that was on a Thursday. It was just two days later. It was 5 a.m. Saturday morning. She's yelling from her room, Daddy, look, look, hurry, come here, Daddy, look, you got to see this, hurry. And I want to let you know, 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I'm a very patient and gentle father. <laughs> so I came into her room, and she said, Look, Daddy, Romeo is kissing Juliet. Just a minute, I'm having a little technical problem. There we go. It's kissing Juliet. And I, being maybe a more observant person at that time, took a closer look and confirmed and let her know, no, honey, Romeo is actually, well, eating Juliet. Poor, poor Juliet. And if any of you have fish tanks at home and one of your precious fish die, where do you find it? 
Yeah, you're going to most often find it right on the top. And if you don't believe me, you can do an experiment. All you need is one drop of cyanide. Put it. No, don't do that. <laughs> but is it true that when we're watching a high-definition documentary about ocean life, and we see, uh, um, do we see thousands, if not dozens, of sea creatures lying there on the bottom of the ocean just waiting to be slowly buried over millions of years? No, you see, so if I wanted to make a fossil of my daughter's remaining goldfish, what I had to do was get a shovel of concrete, sneak into her room in the middle of the night, and throw it on there really quickly. No, I didn't do that. But is there any evidence that supports this idea that the only way we can get a fossil is through rapid catastrophic burial, as we would experience in a huge flood like the Bible tells us about? Well... Take a look at this. Here's a fish that was buried so quickly it was caught right in the middle of having lunch. Or how about this? Here's an ichthyosaur in the process of giving birth. Now, ladies, I've heard stories of really long labors, but really millions of years. <laughs> or how about here? Here's a hat that was buried for only 20 years. You might say it evolved from a soft hat, into a hard hat, or here is a bag of flour after only decades turned to stone. Or, in this case, this teddy bear was completely turned to stone in only three to five months. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? It does not take millions of years of evolutionary time, as we've been told that science has proven, but the historical account of the Bible actually is supported by the facts and evidence. Now, I hope you don't mind. I just want to take a little break right here. Um, those examples that I just shared with you, some of those facts and evidence, were they easy to understand? I mean, was I talking over anybody's head? More importantly, can I ask you a question? Can you see yourself getting equipped with ideas like this that you can share with people that don't know Christ, whether they be in your family or your neighbors, coworkers, people that God's brought into your life to show them that as opposed to what they've been told all their life, that the Bible really is supported by the facts and evidence so that perhaps the Holy Spirit can have his way and bring them to the kingdom of God. Hope you can see how you can do that. Now, I already know that there's a bunch of people here that are thinking, what is the big deal about millions of years? I mean, you keep talking about that. I mean, the Bible, after all, is a book of morality. I mean, shouldn't we just stick with important doctrines of the Bible? But do you think adding millions of years into the Bible, if indeed we could do so, do you think that might impact some important doctrines? Well, let's take a look at that, okay? You see, in the, uh, both the Old and the New Testament, we have a whole lot of genealogies. I think God must think they're very important. I think one of the things he's trying to show is that Jesus was a direct descendant all the way back to Adam. But did you know in the Old Testament we have what's called chronogenealogies? That's when so-and-so was so old when his son was born, and he was so old when his son was born, and he was so old when his son was born. We can actually add up those generations, and we'll get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Abraham. Are you following me so far? And then after that, notice God tells us about time all, all through Scripture. You know, that exactly how many years the Israelites were captive in Egypt. Follow, and that this king ruled for this many years, followed by this king for this many years, followed by this king for this many years. And you know what? 
if you can add up those generations and those time spans, we'll actually get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Jesus. And if we know how much time it was and all the historical events that happened during that time, yet we want to add millions of years into the Bible because we believe science has proven it, can we fit millions of years logically between Adam and Jesus? No. So you know what a lot of people do, right? They say that each day in Genesis, each creation day, represents millions and billions of years. Have you heard that idea? It's very popular. But I want to let you know that if you do take that position, there's a huge theological problem, and I'm holding it in my hand right here. And that is that if you do believe that those layers represent millions of years, including dead things like this, which include things like cancer as a cause of death, fossils, okay, then that means that we have death before Adam, death before the fall. Does it sound like we might be touching on an important doctrine? Let's take a look at this even a little further. You see, in the very last verse of Genesis, um, God said that his creation wasn't just good, but it was what? Very good. So what does a very good world look like? Well, check this out. You see, just a couple verses earlier, God said that I give you plants for food. So if we're taking the Bible as it's plainly written here, both that, that before there was death in that perfect paradise, okay, there was no death of animals, which also means there was no barbecue. But notice in the next verse, he gives the same command to the animals. He said, I give you uh, plants for food. So if we're taking the Bible as it's plainly written here, both man and animal were what? Vegetarian, which, by the way, comes from an ancient Hebrew term that means bad hunter. But just in case you're feeling guilty because maybe you had some bacon with your eggs this morning, I want to let you know that later on God said, just as I gave you green plants for food, I now give you everything for food, which some people use as biblical justification to eat these things. But I want to let you know that a very good world, okay, what we're talking about here is it was a perfect paradise. There was no sin no death, no sorrow, no pain. We were created to live in harmony with our creator. However, man disobeyed. You see, God, he commanded Adam, he said that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil, you will surely what? Die. Die. You see, we do worship a merciful and loving God, but he's also just. And there must be a penalty for disobedience, which is? Death. It's a pretty grim story, isn't it? In fact, every descendant of Adam, which would include everyone in this room and everyone that ever has and everyone that ever will live, inherited that sin nature, and along with it, the penalty of death. But God sent a rescue mission, didn't he? Amen. God sent his own son, who was God in the flesh, who knew no sin who became the perfect lamb of God to be sacrificed and pay the price for us. So that, in the future, you guys remember this in the Bible? It says, in the end, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Is anybody else looking forward to that? Amen. And yet, when we say that 
before Adam, those millions of years of, of rock layers with that, those evidence of death, including cancer, okay? We put death before the fall. We're actually turning the gospel really upside down. You see, because if you could summarize the Bible, it would be a perfect paradise at the beginning, marred by sin, redeemed by Christ, so that those that are in Christ would have a perfect paradise in the end. We cannot have death before the fall. And if you don't think it's a big deal, you know, maybe you can take the word of an... Uh, hmm. Okay. Just a moment. I want, I want to let you know that some people say that when we're talking about millions of years, you know, that it basically it's going to cause a division in the church. I've had people tell me that. But how about this guy? He caused a huge division in the church, and this is what he had to say. He said, when Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. He said, for you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written, but since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn his word in the direction you wish to go. And the nature of our, of our culture might be better stated more by a more modern theologian that you might be familiar with. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, they, meaning the church, used to hang the whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you don't act morally, then you're going to burn in hell. But listen to what he said next. He said, unfortunately, with what we know about science, Anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in that fire and brimstone stuff anymore. So organized religion, you have lost your voice to hold up your moral hand. Now, does that sound like anything else you've heard before? He's basically saying now that science has proven that the Bible's biology, geology, astronomy, and therefore history is wrong, then that means that the morality that is contained in the same biblical text is therefore also wrong. So you Christians... You have no right to tell me how to live my life because science has proven that your Bible can't be true. But you know what we can do? I mean, if you guys want to believe those Bible stories and if they give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, I won't hold that against you. You can believe your Bible stories. That way you can believe what you want to believe and I'll just believe what I want to believe and that way you'll be okay and I'll be... Wait, am I going to be okay in an eternal perspective? But isn't this an accurate representation of our culture and the people that we're trying to reach? So I hope that you can see why we need to demolish arguments like that that are set up against people knowing the true creator, Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul said that by him, meaning Christ, and through him all things were created. He was there in the beginning, and he is our Savior. Shouldn't we take his word for it? By his voice, all things were created. Now, there are a whole lot of uh, areas that we, can, that we need to cover. There are, people have questions in all kinds of places, and we only have this short presentation. We can't cover all of those. But we must have a defense in this area. And I hope you don't mind me being very practical right now. Um, how many people here know that there is a war waging for the souls of men going on right now? 
And if that is the case, should we be armed with weapons, a sword, ammunition that we can use in order to defend the faith? We wouldn't go into a battle unarmed. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I only remember about 10% of sermons for 10 minutes and then it's gone. I'm sure that's not the case with Pastor Tim. You probably... No, but in all seriousness, if you hear a recording of the message for a second and third time, will you understand the information better? Okay, that's called equipping, that's studying, that's understanding things, and that's what we should all be doing. So again, I hope you don't mind me being very practical, because if we are going to be in this battle, and if the biggest place the Bible is being attacked in our culture is the creation and evolution debate. And again, if you don't believe me, just go home. Just, it's, it's everywhere, okay? If that is the case, we need to be equipped with our faith. And you guys might have noticed that out in the, uh, uh, outside there on the, the patio there, we did bring some resources. Now, we don't charge a fee when we come to a church. Uh, and we also don't make a lot of money when we do offer these resources to you. That isn't our purpose. What we have is we have a vision to see believers around the world in every culture who are equipped with a defense for their faith. Not just for the sake of our children and grandchildren, although that is obviously and vitally important to each of us, but also, what about if our children get equipped with this and start reaching their peers? What about our neighbors that don't know Christ, those co-workers, even people in our own families who don't know Christ have been told all their life that science has proven millions of years of evolutionary time. I hope you can see that you can be equipped with easy-to-understand information where you can start to maybe change their mind. And I'd like to add another bonus that's pretty cool, and that is that when you see that God created everything and that the evidence supports it, it is going to build your worship of the Creator like nothing else. So I hope you can see why we need to be equipped and why we brought the resources. But I want to feature one in particular, one resource, and this has been around for 45 years. Uh, Creation Magazine is the most read publication of its kind in the world. Uh, it goes out to 110 countries. Uh, it comes out quarterly, every uh, three months. Uh, uh, 56 pages long, very easy to understand, well illustrated. And there's no advertising in it, by the way. And I don't know if you guys had magazines and you took out all the advertising, but would you have 56 pages left? <laughs> Yet what's left in here isn't just a good recipe for butternut squash. This is information that will help equip you and your family with easy to understand things that you can use and share with people who don't know Christ and build the faith of those in your family. So if you guys do decide to, uh, to become uh, subscribers today, okay, and you do a one-year subscription, um, you'll be able to take the, uh, the current issue home with you and start reading it this afternoon. In addition, every month you'll get a newsletter that has a couple more articles that will help uplift you. In addition, you also get the digital version of the magazine up to five devices like tablets, uh, smartphones, uh, laptops, and any kind of electronic device so that everybody in your family can have their own copy, uh, digital copy of the actual one that you'll be getting in the mail. So I hope you can see how you can do that. If you do a two-year subscription, we're going to add in two uh, DVDs. This one is an award-winning documentary that traces Darwin's 
life as he went to the Galapagos and interviews both secular and uh, uh, Christian scientists and asks the question, if Darwin were alive today and had all the evidence that we know, would he have come to the same conclusion? Also, in addition to that, you'll also get that other documentary I referred to before, where you can hear these students with their own words uh, tell why they left the faith and also hear the answers and the defense that you can use. So in a moment, we're going to uh, distribute sign-up sheets for the magazine so that your family can, uh, can do that. And all we need to do is just fill in the information on this form and then take it back out here, and uh, we'll go ahead and get you your free gifts. So if my volunteers could go ahead and distribute those again, I would appreciate This is a different form just for the magazine, and we'll get you going. But listen, while those are going around, um, let me ask you, or let me share with you some, um, a couple examples from Creation Magazine. How many people here have heard that carbon dating proves millions of years? Right? That's very common. You know, how do you answer a question like that? Well, for example, in Creation Magazine, we actually shared uh, where a sample was taken from a volcanic lava dome, and a date was given to it of uh, 350,000 years from a potassium-argon dating lab. And yet they got another date from, a, from the same sample using a different mineral, 900,000 years and then 2.8 million years. Now, folks, it was the same sample taken from the same, the same uh, volcanic lava dome, sent to the same potassium-argon dating lab using the same mass spectrometer, the same scientists, but we got all these different dates. So which one do you guys think is right? Actually, none of them are correct. You see, this is the correct age. It was 10 years old, and we knew this because this sample came from the Mount St. Helens volcanic lava dome, and we knew exactly when the rock was formed. So if we get dates, radioisotope dates of rocks when we know the age that are completely wrong like this, and by the way, this has been repeated over and over again, do you think that might bring into question the assumptions scientists use when they're dating rocks when they don't know the age? Can you see yourself sharing information like that when somebody might challenge you? I hope you can see how it's easy to do. And just one more, one more example, and if you guys haven't heard this one, it's kind of mind-blowing. When we publish this, this has been probably one of my favorite things to share, and that is that uh, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who, was, who is an evolutionist, at the time at Montana State University working under the great Jack Horner, the number one dinosaur paleontologist in the world, what she discovered years ago in the femur of T. rex bone is she found red blood cells. Now I want you to think about that, and this is what she said. She said, I got goosebumps. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone, but of course, I couldn't believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones, after all, they are 65 million years old. I know that to be a fact. How could blood cells survive that long? You know what? Years later, they dissolved the bony matrix, and they found soft, fibrous tissue that was flexible and resilient. So can I ask you guys a question? Does that look 65 million years old to you? And listen to how she responded. She said, it was totally shocking. I didn't believe it until we'd done it. What? 
17 times. Do you guys remember when we were talking about operational science that's done in the laboratory right before our eyes in the present in order to establish whether something is true? And she said, I couldn't believe it until we'd done it 17 times. And she still, actually to this day, has trouble understanding how this could be true. And you know what? I don't blame her. Because sometimes our faith in what we believe is hard to let go. However, I would like to share with you a different interpretation of these facts and evidence, which, by the way, has been repeated dozens of times. This isn't an exception. This has happened many times in dinosaur bones. But I would like to share with you a different interpretation on the backbones of my PhD colleagues. Would that be okay? The dinosaur bones are not 65 million years old. So I hope you can understand how you can be equipped with information exactly like this. And if this is something that uh, is, is excited you, please get equipped and spread this information around the world to people. But you see, even, even resources like this didn't even exist 20 years ago. And you can find the answers again. Where did you guys say? Please? And I think right now is an exciting time to be a Christian because we have scientifically and biblically accurate answers to the tough questions people are answering in their culture. And you can be part of that army that are answering those questions. And listen, in addition to the, uh, to the, to the magazine, I just do want to point out to you a couple other things in the, in the books, and that is the starter pack. Now, it includes the answers book, which has the 60 most asked questions in the creation and evolution issue. You know, questions like, you know, how in the world did God get here? What about dinosaurs? Where did the races come from? Carbon dating. And my favorite question, where did Cain get his wife when he wasn't able? Also, <laughs> also included in the starter pack is Refuting Evolution. Refuting Evolution is the biggest selling creation book of all time. It goes through the National Academy of Scientists directive to public school teachers on how to teach evolution in the American classroom. We go through each one of their points and give you a defense so that you can have that for your kids. In addition to that, this is the biggest thing that we've ever done in our time is Evolution's Achilles Heels went second place at the Christian Worldview Film Festival. Features 15 PhD scientists that are uh, undermining and showing how the very foundations of creation, uh, or of evolution, excuse me, have been uh, have big questions. And also, if you want to have like a Sunday school class here in this church, maybe somebody here would like to buy this 12-part uh, 12, uh, 12 little video and uh, free study guide information that you can use. But information like this didn't, didn't even exist 20 years ago. And like I said, I think right now is an exciting time. But I'd like to conclude with the question we started with, and that is, are you willing to equip yourself with the answers to the tough questions that people are asking so that you can be the one that dives into the, into the, in, and rescues the perishing so that you can fulfill this command to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. All right, thank you guys very much.